Hi there, I'm Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in the state of Madhya Pradesh in India and we're talking to Josh Howard about his calling to multiply disciples and churches throughout what will become the world's most populous nation. Living in India now for the last 12 and a half years. Um, and so when I first got here, I was, what was I, 23 or something like that when I, when I moved here. Uh, I married a, a beautiful Indian woman uh, who her parents started the organization that I work with. Um, and so uh, so I started working with them at, you know, at 23 years old, um, they were trying to find stuff for me to do. So they put me with our, uh, with our Bible college students when I first got here to train church planters, which I had no business training church planters at 23. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> the, the students were 18 to 25 and I was 23 trying to train them on how to go plant a church. I think my skin helped me out a little bit on that one. Uh, but, uh, but so I was, I was basically making stuff up as I went and was trying to figure this whole thing out on the fields, uh, trying to learn language and culture and all that all at the same time with a brand new bride. Um, but at that time, we were really in more of a traditional uh, model of addition. So we were doing a lot of adding churches, adding disciples. Uh, I, I really had no concept of, of really multiplication. Um, about five years in, I'd say, after I really started to get, you know, my feet on the ground here and, and really start to, to, to get going on things, we saw a great amount of fruit. God was moving in great ways. But we really had a vision for this entire nation to be reached with the gospel and not just this nation, but the surrounding nations as well. And so when I looked at the population of this country and saw that there was 1.3 billion people that we wanted to touch with the love of Jesus, um, I realized super quickly that addition just wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, I tried to, I remember, man, um, uh, five years in, I got out my calculator and I tried to think of the biggest number I possibly could of how many people could we reach every year to reach this nation. I thought, man, if I could maybe, maybe we could raise up the next uh, Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke and we could reach this whole country, you know, or whatever. And I plugged in a big number. I forget what it was. I think it was like 100,000 people. What if we could reach 100,000 people per year? And it still was going to take like 13,000 years to reach India. Something, something crazy. And it didn't matter how many zeros I added. It was like, this is impossible with this method. Like, there's, there's no way addition can actually reach this, this country. There's, there's just not a way it can happen. Um, and so we begin to pray, we begin to fast, uh, we begin to really seek God's heart. And the very first thing, Steve, that I came into contact with in any sort of multiplication world, which is a little bit different than most movement practitioners that I talk to, is a mentor of mine introduced me to uh, a guy online. I mean, he's he passed away, but uh, in a back in the 1950s, uh, Dawson Trotman with the Navigators. And so Dawson Trotman preached a sermon back in the 1950s that there's still an audio recording of it online called Born to Reproduce. Mm -hmm. And 
I listened to that message, man, and it blew my mind what this guy was talking about, just about how we were designed by God to reproduce disciples. Like that's what we were created to do. Uh, All of creation was designed to reproduce. And as disciples, we were designed to reproduce. And if we weren't, then there was a big issue with who we were as believers. Um, And I remember him making a passing comment, Steve. He was like, he was talking to insiders in his navigator movement. So he was using insider language that I didn't always catch what he was saying. And one thing he said was, well, you guys, you know, you know what, what I'm talking about. If we did this, we could reach the world in 10 years. And I'm like, what, what (laughs) reach the world in 10 years? Like there's, what's that even mean? And so I remember pausing the, uh, pausing the audio and pulling my calculator back out again. And that's really when the exponential curve of multiplication really hit me on, on, man, if we really, if we really did this and we really started multiplying disciples that would multiply disciples, it really is doable in this generation to reach an entire nation with the gospel. It really is doable. It's not a promise that it'll happen, but it is possible because with addition, it just wasn't possible in my mind. And that's what made it possible was this whole idea of multiplication. Right after that, I was introduced to uh, T4T by Ying Kai, the, the book T4T. I devoured that thing, man, front and back, left and right, uh, as much as I possibly could. I read your book uh, as well. Uh, actually, two of them, uh, Movements That Changed the World and What Jesus Started, um, and, uh, and just poured my as much time, energy, and attention as I could on this movement thing. I, didn't, I wasn't in a, like a, a network yet. I wasn't a part of No Place Left yet. I wasn't a part of any of these things yet. And, uh, and so after reading T4T, um, I basically just started trying to do what he said to do in the book. <laughs> so we, we created some content and started to try to, to, to get into the movement world or the multiplication world. And I remember preaching in our church on a Sunday morning when it was all starting, Steve. And, and uh, on a, any given Sunday, we usually have about a thousand people at our church. And I preached a message um, uh, of just vision, right? It's a legacy church. It was started about a hundred years ago by missionaries. And, and so I'm preaching this message, the only white guy in the room, okay, vision casting for, uh, for multiplication, for movement. And in my mind, it was going to be a Pentecost Sunday. It was going to be like 3000 people coming and saying, I want to be a part of that, you know, or whatever. And so I preached this message and I'm like, Hey, come up to me afterwards. If you want to be a part of this. And out of a thousand people, 12 people came up and said, I want to, I want to do this, which that's a good number, right? I know a couple yeah. people that had 12 people, right? Um, and so anyway, where it really hit me that this is something different and special was that one of the guys was a village guy that wasn't very educated, but he really wanted to be used by God. He wasn't trained. He wasn't equipped. And we started training and equipping them every single week by just meeting in a three-thirds group. And after two weeks, brother, he had already started eight house churches and surrounding villages. In two weeks, this was our first batch of guys we were training. And I was hooked at that point, man. I was like, I'm never doing anything else. Like, and it all, it all kind of went down after that. It wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It didn't all just, my story isn't, it was eight and then a thousand and then a million or anything like that. But I got a glimpse of what just training and equipping everyday believers could actually do in in a community of people. 
And, uh, and so we've never looked back, brother. Um, it's been about six years now since that transition period. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've, we've never looked back. It's been unbelievable to see what God has done in that, you know, in these last six years and, and in that season. What have been in those six years, what, what have been some of the lessons along the way? Yeah. Um, I'd say one brother, um, is, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, personally, um, I, I'm more of a preacher at heart. I love to preach. I love to, you know, I love to, um, speak. And I realized pretty quickly that even though I was going to continue to use that gift and we've done large, you know, preaching events and stuff like that, we still do those things to try to, um, uh, put together proclamation and movement once again, because in the in the movement world, a lot of times those two things are divorced. And all throughout church history, and in the Book of Acts and and in the Gospels, we see proclamation and movement working hand in hand. Even with John Wesley and George Whitfield and and guys like that. And so we've tried to you know really continue to keep those things connected and and movement and proclamation connected together. But even in the midst of that. Um, I've realized the need to continually release that um, need for approval and limelight and stage in order to pour as much time and energy and attention as I can into other leaders and other people so that they're out there doing the work and multiplying. Because, you know, by ourselves as leaders or speakers on a stage or whatever, there's only so many people that we can reach and so much that we can do. But when we're pouring our lives into other leaders and other people, it's it's unbelievable what can, God can do through those people. So, I mean, just to give you an example, I have a leader that we first trained five years ago that has trained, I mean, in the last five years, somewhere between, I'd say, four and 5,000 people. He's trained himself, just him. Like, I've not even been a part of those trainings um, he travels like crazy. He's one of those rapid spreaders of the gospel. Um, and just through him, I mean, we've seen over, over a thousand house churches started just through his training and equipping uh, in the last few years. Um, and so just pouring our lives into other people, it, it's able to multiply our efforts in, in huge ways. What does pouring your life into someone like that look like? Yeah. So at the beginning, I brought him with me as much as I could to anything I was doing. So if I was preaching, if I was sharing the gospel, if I was uh, training, uh, I, I tried to bring him along as, as much as absolutely possible so that he could, he could kind of see how things were going. Similar to many movement practitioners, uh, we use the, the mall method, model, assist, watch, and leave. So I was trying to model for him what it was to train other people, what it was to proclaim the gospel, what it was to share our faith, um, and then assist him in that process and then, you know, kind of uh, release him out there after watching what he could do. Um, and so uh, that's what it looked like at the beginning. But now after he's kind of been released and launched, um, I meet with him regularly over Zoom. He doesn't live in our uh, city. And so I'll meet with him regularly over Zoom. We meet at least once a month, sometimes two or three times a month, depending on what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm constantly trying to see uh, how he's doing, coach him, guide him, mentor him on that process, uh, inspire him as much as I can to keep going when times get tough. Um, we still do things together, even though he's trained you know, so many people and all of that. 
we'll still come together on occasion and do trainings together and travel together and things like that. So we try to spend as much face-to-face time as we can and, and, and zoom to zoom time as we can as well, uh, as, as much as we can. Yeah. What are the, some of the other key things that you've learned over the last six years? Yeah. Um, I mean, the power, the power of movements, uh, is in, reclaiming the priesthood of all believers. It's everyday people that are doing this, this work. In the, in the last six years, Steve, we've seen over 4,000 house churches started in, in the last six years since we started this, since we started from movements and multiplication, this whole multiplication stuff. And the major majority of those were from everyday people in the church, not trained pastors, not, you know, leaders. These were everyday people that realize that the seed of movement is inside of them, that the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of them as well. And they have the power and the ability to go out there and make a great impact for the kingdom. And so we've realized very quickly, as a matter of fact, when when we do trainings with leaders, we get very little fruit a lot of times. But when we do training with lay people in the church, there's so much more fruit uh, than, than if we're training a group of leaders. I mean, most of my frustration comes when I'm in a room full of pastors rather than a room full of lay people, uh, because there, 50,000 excuses will come up about why they shouldn't be doing what we're training them to do. But with everyday people in the church, they're just wanting to do something for Jesus. I mean, they're just wanting to get out there and, and make an impact. And so we really want to try to release um, as many everyday people as possible uh, to get out there and, and do the work of the kingdom. Um, and so that's been a, a huge thing, brother. We try to focus as much on on those types of people as we can. Mm. Anything else that you've learned that stands out? Yeah, um, I say so. We also now use the four fields um, uh, in in our uh, in our movement training, um, and so uh, I would say that a, a major piece that we were missing at the beginning that have which which kind of connects to the first thing that I talked to you about, but really the the longevity of movements and the multiplication of movements really happen in that middle fifth fields. It's in that leadership development cycle, and so. Along with our No Place Left friends, um, you know, we've really started doing uh, what we call one three nines and uh, iron on irons, which is basically just leadership development as much as possible. And so the guys that are actually out there doing the work, uh, we want to spend as much time and effort and energy on raising them up to multiply those leaders, because as we train and equip more, uh, you know, church multipliers and movement leaders, and those continue to multiply. That's how movement's going to be sustained over the long haul. And it's going to continue to multiply to new regions, new cultures, new countries, um, that whole, that whole thing. And so I would say that, which, which has been honestly a struggle for me, Steve, um, I'm more of a, let's go get them big visionary, you know, all that. And so, to kind of get into the weeds with people and, and really dig down and, and, and get deep into their work and stuff has really been, been a struggle for me personally. And so I've got guys on my team that are really, really good at that, that really help, uh, you know, push that side of things forward. Um, I still dig my hands in it, even though I'm not very good at it because I know how important it is. Um, but, uh, but I've got a few guys on my team that are, that are just incredible at that side of things that have really helped 
build up and train that, uh, you know, higher level leader so that they can continue to go out and, and multiply more movements. What are some of the obstacles you've had to overcome in the, in the six years? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a big mistake we made at the beginning. Uh, that could, that could be a good obstacle. Um, so at the beginning, when I got so excited about this, you know, six years ago, I just wanted to train as many people as I possibly could. So I, I traveled everywhere. I didn't care where it was. I didn't care if it was 12 hours from here, if it was a three hour flight, five hour flight, I didn't care. I just wanted to train as many people as we could in this process, which is good. It's not bad, but we spread ourselves so thin that we weren't able to really filter out the people in those areas we were training in order to spend more time with them and actually get uh, good traction in those areas. So I feel like we lost a lot of momentum at the beginning because we spread ourselves so thin. And I was training people up in North India, South India, a different country, you know, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka or wherever. And we were just all over the place. And I felt like I needed to train as many people as I could to find the few, you know, really good movement leaders. The problem was that because they were so far away and so spread out, I, there was no way for us to truly follow up with those people and filter mm. them out and make sure which ones we needed to work with. And so learning how to really laser focus on an area for a season and make sure that there's traction there uh, and make sure, even if it's not me personally, one of our team members is focusing on a region in order to make sure there's traction going before we just you know, spread ourselves out so thin. And so my excitement and passion at the beginning of getting this out there to mm. as many people as we could actually probably hindered things at the beginning more than it helped things because we, we spread so fast, like spread ourselves so, so fast and so thin. Mm. Um, so that would be definitely one. Um, I'd say another big one is that at the beginning, especially I did not, so we just talked earlier about pouring our lives into other leaders and things like that. At the beginning, I did not do a good job of that at all. I was the one doing all the trainings. Um, I was the one who, you know, had the golden tongue. It had to be from me. It couldn't be from anyone else. I do it, you know, I do it better than everybody else and I've got to be the one to do it. And, and so I was doing everything. And, uh, and then I realized, um, after a couple of years of doing it like that, that man, wouldn't it be way better if there were five or six people that could do this or 10 people that could do this. And we could be doing trainings in 10 different locations at one time or 12 different locations at one time. Wouldn't that be a whole lot better than thinking I've got to do everything. And, uh, and then I realized that some of my uh, national leaders are probably actually better trainers than me anyway. <laughs> and so mm. they, need to, they need to be the ones out there doing it. Um, and so that was a, that was a mistake and, a, and, an, and an obstacle that I had to overcome personally was really just releasing that power and authority and responsibility to other leaders that could take it and do it. And even though at the beginning, they may not have been as good of, at training as I was because they had not done it yet. I had done it tons and tons of times. And so once I began to release that and let them do it, even though they might've made mistakes and things like that, slowly and surely as, as they got more and more repetitions under their training belt, um, they became incredibly uh, amazing um, trainers. And now, like I said, some of them are, are, 
are better than me and I'd rather them do training than, than myself. <laughs> mm. Now you've got some new things on the go. Tell us a bit about where things are right now. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that when I first moved here, I got, you know, kind of put in charge of this church planning school, uh, here, here in India. And, uh, and so, um, because of the COVID season right now, we've not been able to bring students back onto our campus. And so usually it was, we were trying to make it more like a, more like a residency program, really, since we moved to movement practices, we tried to make our training in line with that as well, so that we were trying to get as many people trained way more on a competency level, a skill level, um, a, uh, a obedience-based level, rather than a traditional knowledge-based training. And so over the last few years, we've been trying to make that shift. Um, I've got a couple friends, uh, you know, I'll call them John and Robert, okay? Uh, uh, John and Robert, uh, with, with no place left really helped design this new training for, for us, where we're trying to really get as many people training equipped as possible in the actual practices of movements so that they're not just learning the right knowledge, but the right skills as well, so that they can get out there and become who God's called them to become and do the things that God's called them to do. Um, and so John and, and Robert have helped massively on, on getting this out there and, uh, and, and getting all that done. So long story short, because we weren't able to bring students back to campus this year, um, we, we made a COVID decision to try to decentralize everything and get it into the local church level, which we had always thought that that might be a great idea, but it was never something we pulled the trigger on until COVID forced us to do it. And to give you an idea, Steve, first on the big picture, and then we can zoom in on some details, but on any given year, we would usually graduate between 120 and 150 students every year in this in this church planning program. And now, <laughs> I just got numbers a couple days ago, and because we decentralized it all in the local church level, we now have over 5,500 students registered in the program. <laughs> yeah. So it's... It's crazy that God blew the whole thing up and is multiplying it like crazy. It's kind of like that Acts 8-1 idea, right? That, uh, uh, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit scattered the church. I feel like our college now has been scattered to get it into the hands of everyday people in the church. And now we have so many more students uh, that, and not even just in India, but in Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Indonesia, Cambodia, Turkey. I mean, all over the place. Um, we have students that have registered that want to be a part of this. And the cool thing about it is, I mean, we're able to give a degree from our college. South Asians love their pieces of paper. They love their, they love their degrees. And so we're able to offer a degree, but it's not a traditional testing type college. In order to get a degree, they actually have to put into practice what they're learning. And so by the end of their first year with us, their, uh, their milestone at the end is to have planted at least two, if not three, house churches by the end of the year. Yeah. And so if you think about the impact that could make, Steve, I mean, if we've got 5,500 students, they're all not going to do it. Some will drop out, some will quit. But even if half of them did that, brother, 
I mean, that's like between 5,000 and 7,000 churches next year. That's crazy, man. That's, that's unbelievable. Um, and so the, the, the possible impact is really, really amazing. And um, is all this in English or have you got translations done? So it is in English, but yeah, we're, we're, we've already translated it into 10 different languages and we're working on five more. Um, and so if anyone's out there listening that is in, you know, the South Asian region uh, and even in, in, in the Middle Eastern region, we're having many of these languages done so that, uh, so that people can do it. And the cool thing is, is that the whole training is discovery based. It's discussion based. So it's not you don't need like a college professor to be teaching it. You don't need like a, a super well-trained teacher to actually lead the program. Um, our team uh, really looked at the adult learning styles and realized that if we did a traditional lecture style training, people are only remembering about 5% of that anyway. <laughs> um, but if they do a discovery and discuss it and practice it, then they're, they're learning, you know, 80 to 90% of what they're, you know, they're remembering 80 to 90% of what they're learning. And so it's all discovery-based. It's all practice-based. It's all obedience-based to get them out there in the harvest doing the work. Um, and so anyone can really lead this. Uh, and so if anyone out there is interested, I mean, please contact me and I'd be glad to share the content, you know, and, and, and show you guys what we're doing. What's the vision God's given you? Where's where's this where's this headed? Yeah, brother. I mean, we we want to we want to see no place left without the gospel, brother. We want in our generation every person, every place, every village, every language um, to be radically touched by the love of Jesus. I mean, that's what we that's what we really want, and so. Um, you know, back when we had that vision before we even moved into multiplication, brother, and realized that addition isn't going to cut it. There's no way to reach this nation that way. Um, what God has done with this training now, um, I, I feel like this is going to be a huge component of actually completing the task in this part of the world, because as we get more workers trained and developed, right? I mean, the same problem has been true for 2000 years. Jesus said the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Like it's been the same problem uh, for, for forever. And if we can get this equipping and training to raise up as many workers as possible, then completing the task in this generation is, is possible. Um, and, and, I, and that's, I mean, that's the, that's the vision behind all of this, man. I'd love to see people uh, getting training equipped in, in everyday locations and everyday churches um, to really learn how to go out there, make disciples like Jesus called us to, uh, start churches the way that uh, are going to be actually multiplying into the community and saturating the community with the gospel until there's, until there's no place left without the gospel. Um, that's kind of the, the heart and the passion behind what we're doing, brother. Um, to give you a a quick story of one of our students um, that I, I really think portrays this really, really well. Um, there's a, a guy named Muna, uh, which is like a, 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 it's kind of a, it's kind of a kid name in, uh, in, in India, but, um, but he was one of our students, grew up in a, in a nominal Christian home. They were never serious about their faith, went to church sometimes, didn't go to church sometimes. Um, but anyway, uh, at a pretty young age, he was he was um, inspired by his pastor and really decided that he wanted to go and, and do something for Jesus. And so 
he joined our program uh, last year when we first started this new obedience-based training, discussion-based, uh, you know, discovery-based training, and uh, went through the whole process. Um, his first village that he went to, okay, um, the first time that he actually went out and shared, uh, an entire family came to Christ, and he was able to start a, a brand new house church in a village that had never had a church before. Um, and I remember him coming to us and talking to us about this and just realizing that he never wants to do anything else with his life after that, you know, like, like seeing God transform people's lives, um, and seeing a new church started where there's never been a church in the history of the world. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, never a church in the history of the world in that village. And for him to be the pioneer to go and do that, he's committed the rest of his life to this now, just, just from that one family saying yes, and him seeing the fruit of the gospel in a village. Um, he went back home uh, to his home area, and uh, um, he, uh, he went out to, uh, the, uh, it was probably the third or fourth village that he went to, and uh, there was a, a, a young girl there that had been uh, demon-possessed. I mean, she was, she was possessed by an evil spirit. He had never done anything in the miraculous. He had never, you know, nothing like that. And uh, he prayed for this girl that the demon would leave. And within just a few minutes, she was completely set free, radically transformed by the gospel. And this guy, this guy's like, what, 22 years old? Hmm. Um, he's 22. And he's seeing the Luke 10, Matthew 10 kind of stuff that the disciples got to see 2000 years ago, you know, going in, starting new churches. So, so this girl was radically transformed. Her whole family came to Christ and he started another church in that village. Uh, and once again, there had never been a, a, a church in that village. And because Jesus radically touched and transformed a girl's life, I mean, the whole village was changed by that one encounter with God. And so this one young man, brother, he's already started two of these churches. Um, he's he's uh, out there doing the work, uh, praying for people's you know sicknesses, praying for people to be healed, and not only that, but but preaching the gospel with boldness and courage because he realized that there's no greater task to give his life to than this, you know. Um, and he, he feels like he's got the greatest job in the world. He doesn't get paid much. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he's not rich. He's not wealthy. He's not successful in the world's eyes, but the kingdom in heaven is applauding what this young man's doing. You know, the, the angels are, are watching with their, with their mouths open, wishing and hoping that they could have been a part of something like that. You know what I mean? The, this task was given to man. This task was given to, to men and women across the world to do. And it's, it's such an, a, an exciting thing to see young people like that do that. And so our vision, I guess, Steve, is really what if we had millions of guys and girls like that out there in the, in the world touching and transforming lives for the kingdom and saturating the world with the gospel in a, in a, in a wonderful, pure, amazing way like that? Um, this world would be a different place, man. Well, thanks for listening, and I just want to say thank you to those who've been able to leave a review or spread the word about the podcast on social media. It's been a great help. I'm Steve Addison for The Movements Podcast.